0: L.A.'s most terrifying band, they don't need anything unadorned power, CIRCLE JERKS! Hey, Keith! Oh my God. Hold it, hold it.
1: Stupid punk rock. I don't, you know, I just think of it as
0: rock and roll, because that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Neighbors. No one loves you like
1: he loves you. You want with that? <laughs> yeah. this Sunday. And we'll be back in the lab. Your answer is non-segulature. <laughs>
2: This is Stan with the Punk Rock Chronicles podcast, and we're actually really, really stoked today um, with our special guest, but before we get started, I want to introduce our uh, trusty cohorts. Uh, We've got Bob the Bastard. Hey. And we've got Chris, uh, our producer. He's behind the scenes, but he's uh, taking care of all the audio, getting things going. Hello. And uh, today we're really fucking stoked because we've got Ed Culver, who's a... let us come into his home again, and we've got Keith Morris on the line, or <laughs> in person with us today. So, oh, welcome. Guys. I can
3: drive home and call, call you back.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, call it in. <laughs> <laughs> Reduce it, but uh, yeah, we're stoked. to we, uh, have these guys with us today. Um, thank you, Ed, for inviting us down. And um, thanks for coming. Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess we just want to get started, and, and you know, when's the last time you guys have seen each other?
3: It's been a while this time, like It's it's been over a year. Yeah, it's been a bit even longer than that. Probably, COVID did. one happen. of our friends passed away recently? Well, not recently, but the one of the last times I was here, he was out here on the front porch smoking cigars. Oh wow! And uh, yeah. we're, we're we're talking about uh, Steve yeah. Human. Yeah. Who played bass with the vandals and he also played bass and detox r.i.p
2: yeah yeah so yeah yeah i heard about that that's sad when did you guys actually get to meet when did you guys meet each other for the first time
3: well we've we bumped elbows at the hong kong cafe back in what 78 79 Probably 79 yeah
0: yeah i got a Bad picture of you wrestling uh, Kickboy on the floor of the Hong Kong.
3: I would like to see that. Do <laughs> you still yeah. have that? Yeah. We, oh, yes. we actually, uh, uh, Kickboy and I became drinking buddies. <laughs> yeah. Kickboy was one of the uh, staff writers at Slash Magazine. He oh, okay. was also in a band called Catholic Discipline.
2: So uh, you guys have known each other since the late 70s. Uh, We've you- known each other...
3: Too long.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Too long? Were you shooting
3: back then?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I started shooting in late 78. Late 78, okay. After a year or two,
3: I started turning up a a few good things. Um, Your story is one of my favorite stories of any of the photographers, because I know a lot of photographers, you know a lot of photographers, but that camera was sitting on that table and you saw it and you swooped on it and started using it. Mm -hmm. That's a great story. (laughs) Can you talk about that? Is that when you just started shooting
2: or? No.
3: (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't want anybody knocking on his door. Yeah, it's like 45
0: years later. (laughs) (laughs) Put clear on (laughs) that one. I boosted a camera out of this warehouse that I was working in in which somebody left it. From the front office, left it out in there in the warehouse, and I threw it in my lunchbox and brought it home. Nice. And,
3: and the rest is history.
0: Yeah. yeah. Who was the first band you ever shot,
1: and how how did that come about? Gun or camera. Uh, camera. Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> otherwise, you'll have other people knocking on your yeah. door. <laughs> yeah, really. Um,
0: the motels, actually. Really. Yeah.
3: Would that would that would have been Madame Wong's, right?
0: Yep. Yeah. I only went there a couple of times. I saw Robert Stoddard band there. And uh, the Motel I liked the early Motels. That was a cool record, that first record. You know, I kinda detest ninety nine point nine percent of New Wave music, but I liked that record a lot. Well, they
3: had something going on that wasn't exactly yeah. New Wave. Yeah. They would they were a little bit more of a they had a little bit more of a rock thing going on. Um, Although they didn't really just rock out, I mean, mm-hmm. not in a motorhead kind of way, yeah. but they had their thing going on, mm-hmm. kind of like Concrete Blonde.
2: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I worked with them too. So what was uh, Madame Wong's back then? We, we
0: obviously we weren't old enough to. I always to said know. it's where New Wave went to die. I only went there a couple <laughs> times. The very first when I started venturing out after not going to very many shows. I went to shows in the '60s a lot when I was a teenager and stuff. You know, I saw The Mothers and, I don't know, Blue Cheer, Captain Beefheart, like all kinds of shows. Um, but I didn't go out much in the 70s until 78 and uh, started taking pictures. Uh, uh, you know, the Hong Kong Cafe opened up. It was like right across an alley from Madam. What's her name? Remember the ad that said yeah, that? Jen Ling Wei. Yeah, they were on a... Uh, war with each other. <laughs>
1: I read somewhere that, yeah, Madame Wongs was more geared towards like... Um, Safe music. Y- right. And if you um, played at a punk band, you weren't really welcome
3: there? Um, they, She did not have very... She had a handful of punk rock bands played there. I know the Bags played there because I saw the Bags there. Mm. I saw... Um, one night, uh, I was getting ready to go up the stairs. I just opened the the front door to go up the stairs, and Nikki Beat Beat had been thrown out physically, and he was rolling down the stairs, (laughs) and he landed at my feet. I did go to Madame Wong's because I saw Los Lobos there. Hmm. I saw the souls there. I think I might have even seen X play there. I
2: think they did.
3: So uh, early on, yes, and
2: then the Hong Kong Cafe was across the street. You said there was kind of a well. It's not a street.
3: Alleyway. It was there's a square.
2: Oh, okay, yeah,
3: and it was right there on, on the on the on the east end of the the block gotcha. on the east end, the east entrance coming in. Yeah, it opens up and it's this big wide space, and there's Madame Wong's, and there's the Hong Kong Cafe, and there's Eight million Chinese restaurants.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what were uh, some of your more memorable shows? Going to Hong Kong Cafe. Oh, mm, pretty much all the shows I saw. <laughs> they were great. That
0: was really fun. You know, I saw the Circle Jerks and Fear and the Bags and
3: X and the Weirdos and I didn't see Black Flag there though. I don't recall you. Uh, you didn't happen to be there on that Monday night when um, we had a. a one of our heroes was in the audience, and the audience was very thin. Mm-hmm. And this would this would have been the show that everybody, all of the, the punks that lived in Hollywood would have been at. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we played the, the room probably, there might have been two dozen people in the room. Mm-hmm. And the, the way that they had the tables set up facing the stage we looked down one of the rows of tables, and at the very end was David Bowie, with two, humongous. Uh, these guys probably played. They were probably um, defensive linemen for the USC Trojans. Oh. <laughs> like, don't mess with me. You can say mm. hi, but don't, don't touch me. Mm. And everybody was there. If you mm. if you talk to all of the people, <laughs> of the the Los Angeles, Hollywood, yeah. Southern California, punk rock scene. There were there were probably eight hundred people there.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's funny, everybody seems to remember being at those those uh those shows, those important monumental shows. Everyone seems to say they were there. But you said there was like two dozen people,
3: huh? I the, the it it was prove I was there. It was but I missed that one. <laughs> that, that was that was that was a night where our percentage of the door was like zero <laughs> that's kind of typical isn't it <laughs> did he stick around for the whole set uh, he did
1: did he uh, we, did he give we, you give you the feedback we did not ask his
3: <laughs> if, if it was a yay or a nay
1: mm-hmm. yeah. try to play
3: it cool well it wasn't Monday night it was like what else are you going to do if you're like say you're recording an album in LA or you're uh, you're on some kind of press junket and you're in LA and you're gonna be talking to every big wig rock magazine or you know, People magazine or Us magazine or Time or hmm. any of that stuff.
1: Yeah. Well also the scene was burgeoning then and things were still relatively new. I mean yeah you had punk that predated where you guys were at at the time, but only by a couple of years. So this whole thing was fresh. L.A. starting to explode with new bands and new scene and all this stuff. So it was all relatively, I would imagine, pretty fascinating for these guys to come in to check out what was happening, right? Like you guys, Black Flag was getting a name at that point already. Uh, We were trying to get a name. <laughs> did you have, did you have any, other, any other notable people that showed up that you saw in the audience? Or, like, holy shit, there's so and so. Not that I can remember. Well, you're pretty good with the Duke.
0: You know, uh, the Den White Duke. Uh, white Duke. <laughs> Ron Jeremy's in the crowd at the Darby Crash Band show
3: at the Starwood. <laughs> Is that weird? That's exciting. That's great to know.
0: Pretty funny. Though.
3: Well, I saw—I I actually saw him at a show on Hollywood Boulevard, and Hole was playing. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So the group sex—can you talk about the group sex album
2: cover, that iconic photo, how that all came about?
3: Um, sure.
2: <laughs>
3: we. Um, when I say we, that would be the Circle Jerks. Yes. Played, uh, and I want to say the the band that played with us was the Adolescents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, we, I,
0: I actually think Dead Hippie played the Stingers and Venus and Unit Three. Uh, I I've heard Dead Hippie played that day, which I weird. I, I don't recall that. I don't remember
3: any other bands playing. Yeah. Just just the two of us. Yeah. I mean, be, between between those. the. The, between the Circle Jerks and the Adolescents, we could have had two or three hundred people at the skate park. Yeah. The, the skate park was down in Marina Del Rey, and what they were doing was they um, opened up to allowing bands to play there. In the Punch Bowl, it, mm. it there wasn't, was nothing
0: close to it either. It was it, in the, between an on and off ramp of the freeway.
3: But it also wasn't; these shows weren't on a regular basis because they weren't a they weren't a proper venue. Yeah. That this this was the kind of thing where they it was like guerrilla style. Mm. If the cops showed up, Show they they could have been closed. They could have been closed down. Mm. And they were they were located very conveniently in in a in uh. A spot that was, uh, it was easy, very accessible from all of the different areas. Mm -hmm. Lincoln Boulevard, um, the 405 Freeway. South Bay and all that. Just over the hill from the South Bay. You had Venice, you had (laughs) Santa Monica. Yeah, yeah. I
2: remember seeing that picture. I think Casey Royer's picking his nose. Yeah. (laughs) Did you, like, did you know ahead of time that you were going to set that shot
1: up,
0: or was it on the fly? Um, Well, I was supposed to do a photo, and there's kind of been different stories that it was all spontaneous, and they just got all the people in the bowl and had me take a picture, but I had colored film with me, so that kind of proves I was there to shoot the album cover. Right. And the picture came out... uh, you know, it was color initially, and then it got rendered into a black and white stat print mm-hmm. and colorized by Di- Diane's in Cabbage. I think it looks great. Yeah. But it was funny. It was originally color, then high contrast black and white, and it colorized. So it came out good. Oh, yeah. It's iconic, obviously. Um, man, yeah, there's so
1: much to unpack with this. So um, you guys met 79, 80, and you've you been active since you said 77 or 78? Or was
0: it later me? than that? Me? Yeah, as, as I productor? started going to shows in the scene in late 78. Okay. Like real late 78. But I was around all the time. You know, I saw you guys a lot of times. You'd always see me if you'd go out probably.
1: So everybody, everybody's pretty well versed in Black Flag's history if you're any kind of a you know a punk fan. Um, how long was the, the initial run of Black Flag with you in it? Like t- from start to finish you think?
3: Um, I was in Black Flag for three years. Yeah. And we spent probably two of those years just trying to figure out what was going on. Like, we didn't really know what we were doing. Uh The blind leading the blind. And um, it didn't really, we didn't really become a real band until um, Chuck the Duke stepped up when we asked him to play bass with us. Uh-huh. See, we, we had three bass players before him. And he said, all join, but we're going to rehearse every night for a minimum two to three hours. <laughs> wow. So you guys got pretty tight then at that point. Well, we got to the point where we could play the songs without even looking at a set list. Yeah. You know, it was like we could play these songs in our sleep. How old were you at that time? I was... I want to say I was 25. What? You were that old back then? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you and, uh, you and Greg Gidd met each other early on and went to shows together, but not punk shows, because back then there wasn't a whole lot of punk going on, right?
3: Well, um, one of the things that a lot of people don't understand, they say, well, you're punk rock, so you listen to punk rock, and there's nothing else to listen to, which is the the the... There, there's a there's an area when you're going up to San Francisco up the five, if you look to your right, you get to a certain point where it's just cows, oh yeah, and all of the cow shit that they're standing in, yeah. Um, and there there might be some bulls out there, but that would be bullshit, okay? <laughs> because like Ed said, one of the things that happens when Ed and I get together, we don't talk about punk rock, <laughs> yeah. You know, we were immersed in punk rock. We were submerged. We were buried in punk rock. We grew up, there was other music that was going on before punk rock. And that's what we listened to. And that's what I find fascinating is because
1: you formed, you you turned Black Flag into what it became, which is the template for a trillion other punk bands, hardcore bands, you know, the hardcore scene that later emerged. Um, You guys were instrumental in that. And but you drew your influences from bands that were nowhere near in that vein, and you and you somehow creatively twisted that into what it became, and I I find that fascinating.
3: We listened to other bands <laughs> as we were growing up because those were the bands to listen to. There was no punk rock, there was no punk rock until the riot on Sunset Strip. <laughs> And those those bands that performed at that time were not punk rock bands. Neil Young in Buffalo Springfield played a song that was fr- pretty frenetic, pretty fast-paced, called Mr. Soul. Yeah. There was some bands that we would call garage rock bands. That's what I was into. That very, very, very much influenced who we, who we are or who we were or what we were musically. The Seeds, pushing Too Hard. The Standells, Dirty Water. The, the Standells, Sometimes Good Guys Don't Wear White. Not everything has to be like you're in the fast lane driving 80 miles an hour. Like a leaf, word in a Hey
0: Joe. That's the first version of that song I heard. That's still one of my favorites.
3: Hey Joe, where are you going with that gun in your hand?
0: People think Henry's wrote dead. <laughs> <laughs> the it cracks me up. You were in a garage rock back
1: then. Pretty punk. So, do could you remember some of the bands that maybe were local heroes or never got known that were really influential? That might have influential. Maybe just to you.
0: About known bands, you know.
1: You know anything that like stands out that you remember or still listen to?
0: Clear Light. I don't know. They were a really great band. Their cover of Mister Blue is amazing. There was two songs that really influenced me when I was a youngster or younger. Uh, is Clear Light's cover of a folk song called Mr. Blue, and they turn it into being really dark and heavy. And yeah, like the uh, chorus line is What Will It Take to Whip You in a Line, A Broken Heart, A Broken Head? It could be arranged. And then uh, The Mother's Trouble Every Day, that, you know, white Jewish guy doing rap over psychedelic music in 1965. That song is one of the best protest songs anybody's ever going to write
1: it's amazing. I uh, I I read somewhere that you were influenced by a lot of bands, but there was a band called The Last that you you mentioned in your book that you were pretty influenced by. And they and you said I think you mentioned you alluded to the fact that it was sort somewhat surprising to people that you chose that band to mention because they weren't really in the band of music that
3: people would expect you to listen to. Here's the deal with now. Here's not. the de- Here's the deal with what was happening when I was growing up. There was a certain point in time in in LA music history where there were 12 bands. <laughs> this yeah. this place might have been a desert. Yeah. This place could have been the ocean floor. Like I said, there were I said 12 bands, there were probably 24 bands. But there was a period in time where the best bands that that we could go see mm. local bands southern california bands were the quick the runaways um there 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 were a handful of bands in hollywood like the hollywood stars there was the pop there was the detroit dogs now they were also and they were also a very 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 heavy influence on black flag because they showed up from Detroit, bringing the Stooges and the MC5, bringing that vibe, toss in some Who, and you you got a great mix of bands going on, and that was the Detroit Dogs. Now, the last happened to be from Hermosa Beach, where we lived, so we rubbed elbows with them. They had absolutely nothing to do with punk rock, nothing whatsoever, except that they knew a bunch of people that were in rock, punk rock bands. Mm, they're all part of the underground scene kind of thing. Yeah. It was like we lived in this time where if you were going to go out on Friday or Saturday night and you were going to go to your local bar and there was going to be live music, you were going to hear all of the hits that were on the radio. Top forty, and maybe a couple of maybe a couple of original songs tossed in. Very very rarely. I mean, one of one of my friends, who I grew up with, Juan, played bass in in Rat. Okay, now we're looking at the North Pole and the South Pole when you're talking Black Flag. Yeah. But he's one of my friends, and he's extremely talented, and I applaud him for doing what he did, playing Monsters of Rock and at Donington Castle and, you know, all over the world. Great, good for him.
1: Well, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but you you seem to be pretty known for making friends with people outside of the, your own scene. Like, you were hanging out with guys from, like, Molly Crew and, and Don Dockin, I think, right? Did you know
3: Don Dockin? And- I did. Yeah, so, Rock yeah, you, you've, Rock you've Rock. always been a little more. <laughs> the Rockin' Don Dock? Yeah. Um And I...
0: They're, well, there was from down in there,
3: or that... He's South Bay. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, is... When the punk rock thing started to happen, all of a sudden they started writing chapters in the punk rock rule book. Mm-hmm. Like you got to get rid of all of your old records, you can't listen to Led Zeppelin anymore. You know, fuck that. I'm done with that. <laughs> I'm going to listen to Led Zeppelin whenever I fucking feel like listening to Led Zeppelin. Because I grew up with Led Zeppelin, just like Cream, just like Steppenwolf. Mm-hmm. Just like the Seeds and the Standells, all of these bands—the British Invasion, mm. the Beatles, the pretty things, the Rolling Stones, <laughs> the Kinks, the Who, the Hollies, the Zombies—grew up with all of these bands. I'm just supposed to, to give up listening to these <laughs> bands because <laughs> some, some twerp and t- some twerp that saw the. This is how Sid Vicious looks. This is what you're supposed to look like. Screw that crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. Later later on to that noise. What about
1: you, Ed? Do you feel that way? About About um did you did you have a huge like a, a re- revelation in, in your musical taste? Or did you sort of just add to what you were already listened to when you got into punk? Like did did anything change for you?
0: Uh yeah, it's kind of like the Sort of, you know, I was listening to underground, heavy, psychedelic music in the 60s, never took any hallucinogenics, no, but I loved psychedelic music. I told Dr. Leary that that I'd never taken any one time I was with him and he said, you don't need them. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, but, nice. You know, I, uh, you know uh, Human Expression, Love at a Psychedelic Velocity, do you know that record? I bought that when I was a kid. Yeah, I bought the pretty things and the 13-floor elevators of oh. underground.
2: Um, um so, uh Keith, when you first met Greg and you heard him play guitar, was he what songs was he playing? Was he playing early Black lag
3: or was he just kind of noodling around or I met Greg through his younger sister because she was dating the owner of one of the record stores that I uh not only frequented but hung out listen to music in and also man the cash register Mm -hmm. and she would come in, she was dating the owner, Michael, and one day she happened to bring Greg along with her. What would happen at that time, the collection of records behind the counter happened to be the first 3 Bruce the first 3 Bruce Springsteen albums oh. there were a couple of Joni Mitchell albums oh. uh the Lindsey Buckingham Stevie Nicks album um, he also listened to Poco but he was also the guy that turned me on to prog rock and I'll I'll never ever be mad about that. Mm. One of one of our buddies, Paul Rossler, swears by it. Mm. And when I say prog rock, I mean bands like Yes, and uh, Le Orme, and Banco, and Greenslade, Manfred Mann's Earth Band. There there are a ton of these bands, and the 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 majority of the punkers certainly dislike them, because the the guys that played in these prog bands played circles around all of us.
0: Mm, they were good
3: musicians. But, oh, yeah. the, they were not only were they good musicians, but they were great musicians. Yeah, like fusion, a lot of that's like wow. jazz fusion, but it's like yawn. At the same time, we, we we will blame jazz fusion. For the bad brains. Mm. If there was no Mahavishnu Orchestra, mm. there would there would be no bad brains. And you know, getting back to the punk rock rule book, all of these bands, all of these bands that I've been rattling off, they're on the list of bands not to listen to today. <laughs> and, and and, and I hard, are, <laughs> I I am uh, waving my middle finger in the air to all of that because I'll listen to whatever I choose to listen to. But when Greg, when you and Greg started playing together for the first time,
1: it's unusual to take those influences and then you guys are like, look, let's cut the fat. No long intros, no, you know, four-minute interludes into the middle of a song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, You know, you guys took it in a different direction. You might have been Inspired by it in a way, but the way that you, the direction you took it um, w- was unique and kind of interesting. How you guys, just like I said, cut all the fat out, just went with the get in, get out. Was that your plan from the start, or is, did
3: it evolve that way? Well, I, I think that um, you weren't writing rock operas. Well, hell no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we weren't thinking about Tommy and yeah. 200 motels. and... The monkey's head. We were not thinking about the pretty things. Mm -hmm. We weren't thinking about any of that. What happened was, through Greg's sister, Michael, who owned the record store, said, I've got some tickets to go see Journey at the Santa Monica Civic. You guys want to go? It's like, of course we're going to go. Because Thin Lizzy is playing with them. <laughs> so we're at the Santa Monica Civic. Thin Lizzy just gets through playing. The lights go on. So they're playing music in between the bands while Journey's doing whatever they're doing to get ready to do what Journey does. And I'm looking at Greg. And he's... the the All of the... All of the light bulbs are going on over our heads. Like, we could try to do that. We, we, we could. Greg says, I, I've got a handful of songs. You want to hear them? And I said, of course. And that's when it took off. Out of the Santa Monica Civic, into his living room, where where we have he has a practice amp, and he plays me like five songs, and my jaw is on the floor. Just the guitar part. Just the just the guitar, just ripping on the guitar, just like mm-hmm. get the fuck out of my way, and I never expected. What I heard Mm -hmm. to come from him out of these speakers, like this, this shit's fucking, I've never heard anything like this. Mm -hmm. You know, I was slightly familiar with the MC5. I love Raw Power, which is Iggy and the Stooges' greatest album. Now, everybody can argue about, well, the first one, the industrial, the Detroit, the (laughs) the automobile manufacturing, production line, assembly line, boom, boom. Yeah, that's all great and wonderful, and those albums are brilliant, but raw power is one of those life-altering recordings. That you heard on vinyl at the time too on vinyl because they would not play it on the radio it was just too (laughs) it was too exotic for (laughs) rock radio I think
0: CDs take the life out of everything
1: compression or whatever whatever happens with the sound it doesn't translate as well as it does from vinyl and everything
3: needs to be put in its place Mm -hmm. so with the aggression coming from
2: Greg's playing do you think bands like do you think he was maybe influenced by, like, the middle class with, like, Out of Vogue back in 77, them playing a really fast uh,
3: punk style? We had seen the middle class probably four or five times. And um, we'd yet to see the Bad Brains. We'd yet to see Minor Thread. We had seen the Germs, but the Germs... And a lot of people say, Hey, it it was middle class and the germs that paved this highway for you guys. (laughs) The germs the germs couldn't pave their way out of their own bedrooms. They were they they, it was just chaos. You would go to see the germs and they never ever ever made it all the way through a song. Mm. It was like Okay, when's this train derailing? (laughs) And I'm not taking anything away from the germs because they were there. Yeah. And they they certainly and definitely are an influence. Mm. But there's also DOA. Mm. We'd seen DOA a couple of times. The first time I ever saw DOA, it was like, who the fuck is going to? How, how can X, one of the greatest bands to come out of Southern California, follow that band? Mm-hmm. And X came out and was like, some of these bands would force you to be on your toes. Some of these bands would force you to step up and do your best. Mm-hmm. Like... Yeah, through you you better be running fast because you're in a race that if you if, if you stop to take a sip of water you're going to lose
1: <laughs> Did you guys venture out to Orange County back then and what did you think of like what was coming out of there cuz you know the middle class Santa Ana and you had um the you know, Fullerton scene was starting to come up you had like the mechanics and some earlier bands you know before You know, like Rick Agnew and all those guys got really going. You had some early influences out there too. Did you
3: guys ever experience some of those bands? We would go to um, Orange County, but they would be the the shows would be (laughs) where (laughs) not in regular places. Mm. You know, if somebody did had a party in their backyard or. You know, you know when rink. I say the OC, I mean like, you know, playing a playing a, a backyard party or playing in a garage down in Huntington Beach. Yeah.
1: Okay. What about you? Did you do any shooting out there back then? Did you ever make a way out there for anything? Uh,
0: yeah. I went to the Happy Time Roller Rink. I think that was the name of the place. And uh, I'd
2: go to the Cuckoo's Nest quite a bit. Right. Yeah. I like that venue. So when uh, you left, uh, how did the whole Circle Jerks come together as a band? How did that process happen?
3: Um, The Circle Jerks in the beginning was just a hodgepodge mishmash. And um, Greg invited Lucky to audition for Red Cross. And the McDonald great, brothers. Great Hudson, not <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking yeah. about Hetson. We're not talking about again Yeah. Yeah. Two separate guitar players. Not him again. <laughs> <laughs> um, they did the audition. And there's a couple of varying stories as how it went down or where it took place. The McDonald brothers, who I've known for Forever, I've known Steven since he was 11 years old. <laughs> Didn't like Lucky because Lucky comes from jazz, big band, swing, marching band. He's not a boom, pop, boom, boom, pop, boom, pop, boom, boom, pop. He's not that drummer. <laughs> and they thought he was too proficient, they thought he was too professional. <laughs> and. They were on their last legs, they, they were, This was, I guess, would have been Hudson's uh, attempt at trying to save the band. Mm-hmm. And so Greg and Lucky became good friends mm-hmm. and at some point I'm standing there and they're standing there and it's like, well we've got a drummer, we've got a guitar player and we've got a vocalist, now all we need is a bass player. <laughs> And that was um, kind of my job, I guess, was to uh, find Roger Rogerson, a drunk Roger Rogerson, (laughs) uh, standing against a brick wall on Melrose by the anti-club. And I asked him if he wanted a sip off of my 40-ouncer. And he said, of course. And we got to talking, And I said, do you play bass? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you want to play bass in a band with me? There's a couple of other guys. And that one thing led to another. And we were uh, (coughs) rehearsing in my garage over in Inglewood, California, which is also um, right next to the South Bay, right next to, uh, it's the, like, for furthest most west point of South Central Los Angeles. And that's where it took place, mm-hmm. in the pink house with the white bars. Mm-hmm. Keep keep your nose away from my stash. <laughs> I don't want to jump, like, again, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but there's one thing
1: that, this besides you, this the Circle Jerks and Black Flag had in common, was where your names came from in... You had, a, you had someone, a friend of yours, who came up with Black Flag and the bars, and then later on, I believe,
3: gave you the suggestion for the circle jerks, am I right? Okay, here, here's how this all went down. Black Flag, we're in a room, we're trying to figure out what we're going to call ourselves. We were originally called Panic. Uh, one of the guys somehow managed to buy a single from a, I want to say a Dutch band called Panic. And it's guys... We don't need to get into any kind of legal BS with anybody. We're what we're gonna do, and maybe it was a premonition. We'll, we'll save that for later on, like <laughs> thirty-five, forty years down the road. Um, we, we need to come up with a new name, and Greg Ginn, the the name that he suggested was Rope. And Robo, Chuck Dukowski and I looked at each other like we wanted to like shove a shoe (laughs) in his mouth. (laughs) No, that's not going to work. As it turns out, Greg Ginn's younger brother Raymond happened to be in the room, and he said, I'd call your band Black Flag. And then presents us with the four bars. On the spot? Yeah. And it's like, well, gentlemen, um, it looks like we've got our problem solved for us. And continuing on the thread with... Raymond Pettibone who's at that time started to become one of my good buddies he was one of my drinking buddies he was we were doing drugs and smoking pot and all of that fun stuff i quit black flag and the the circle jerks didn't have our band name yet but we had a couple of shows coming up and it was like what are we going to call ourselves, the Bedwetters, the Runs, (laughs) Plastic Hippie. Um, We were in Raymond's library workroom at his parents' house in Hermosa Beach. I want to say this was on like a Saturday afternoon and we were there because we were going to use some of his artwork for a flyer. But we still didn't have our name, we were just, we were going to just call ourselves whatever we were going to end up calling ourselves. And I'm looking through all the books, all of the different titles, and I see the American Slang Dictionary. <laughs> There's two, two parts to this because it's so thick. <laughs> And so I, I, I grab volume one and I'm flipping through the pages just looking for any, anything that pops out at me. And all of a sudden I'm f- flipping through the B's and now all of a sudden I'm flipping through the beginning of the C's. And here I am, C.I. Circle Jerk.
0: <laughs>
3: um, yeah, okay. Greg, what do you think about this? Circle Jerks. You, you want the, the most ridiculously stupid name that you can come up with. Because, what about the Beatles? That's a really stupid name. Yeah. The Rolling Stones? That's a pretty stupid name. They gather no moss. Was well, there a definition? <laughs> the, no, they don't they... gather any moss, they just gather millions of dolls. <laughs>
2: Was there a definition with that name, like circle jerk, and then how to explain? Yeah, it but
3: works? we didn't even make it that far. No. <laughs> That's it. Because that name just uh, just jumped. Oh yeah, it's le- it leapt right out of the off that page.
1: Hmm. Did did ribbon have a hand in the creation of the logo
3: or the artwork that accompanying? No, like that, Yeah. Huh? No, he was. Um, He was starting to get busy doing some of the other things that he was doing. The black flag flyers and things like that. All of the black flag flyers. There was a certain point where he was making sure that whatever Mel was pictured in the drawing had an erection. (laughs) Because what had happened was... He got to the point where he was pissed off. He was not getting paid for any of the usage of any of his artwork. Mm. Even um, his brother was publishing. He had what equated to be um, a comic book slash graphic novel thing called Captive Chains. Mm. And Greg never paid anybody for anything. Greg put those out? Yeah.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, well, Greg didn't put those yeah. out. Tripping corpse.
1: Well, that actually basically kind of jogs my, my question in here. Um, when you left Black Flag, I know, again, well-documented, man, there's a lot of tension in Black Flag, and mostly because Greg had a pretty firm hand, uh, hold on the creative control of the direction of the band, right? So when you started the Circle Jerks, did you set out to make that experience a lot different, more of a... Um, you know, uh, a group effort and less of a, you know, I don't know, less confrontational or someone who had control of the, the creative uh, direction of the band? Did you guys act
3: more like as a team? The the thing with Black Flag wasn't so much Greg trying to be in control and take, taking charge because Chuck also played a role in all of that. And I um, didn't really get along with Chuck. Mm. I do now. I love the guy, but at that time, the black flag was impending, impeding my progress in finding out where the party was going to be on Friday night. (laughs) Understood. And that... They, they were starting to get serious and I had started to get burned out like what we we spend so much time rehearsing when are we gonna play live I mean we've we've played shows live they, when i when I quit they told me we have no shows booked which just lit lit more fire under my ass to get the fuck out of there. Two weeks later, they they played at the Hong Kong Cafe. <laughs> and like they booked shows and didn't even didn't even tell me that that's how important of a role I played in the band.
1: Did they already have another singer lined up to play that gig? He was already there. Mm.
3: He'd he'd been there because he lived in the church. Ron played drums in Red Cross and he got to the point where he didn't want to play in Red Cross anymore. So he was just living in the church because it was so inexpensive. And one of the things that was happening with Ron was every night when Black Flag rehearsed, he was out in the hallway outside the door where we we were rehearsing. So he knew the songs. He knew the lyrics. He loved the band. We were all friends. Except for those of us that were falling out. And I would, I would, I would later find out, um, I would have a conversation with Robo, and Robo said, you really pissed me off, Keith, when you left. The band changed when you left. It was no longer fun when you left. Hmm. I said, well, why didn't you join in with me on some of these arguments that I was having where all of a sudden it's me against three guys. Who wants to be a part of that? Yeah. It's very unfair. And so it was not difficult for me to leave Black Flag. I was just not having fun. Yeah. We're not making any money. We're not getting paid for playing shows. <clears throat> I'm not having fun. Gotta get gotta get the hell out of here. That's the
2: point, right? Exactly.
3: And and then ultimately I would I would hear from Chuck who would tell me that Greg wanted to fire me and Greg couldn't figure out a way to tell me that my services were no longer necessary. I guess Greg just didn't have the balls to step up and say, Dude, you drink too much. You're doing too much cocaine. You're not really... We're not learning any new songs. And my vibe was, we're not learning any new songs because are we going to record? No, we're not going to record. They ultimately did record the the EP with Ron. Was it five songs? I, I don't know. I don't know all of the songs. But um, he, he only lasted six months in the band yeah. yeah so maybe he was feeling the irritation from a couple of the other guys in the band
1: the awkwardness with the lineup changes was probably difficult I would imagine because you were at the
3: time still living at the church weren't you I was still living at the church yeah um, I actually had a roommate who had run away from home who would eventually become the bass player in a band called the Mao Maus yeah and then he would p- play in uh, the Cramps, and he played in a couple of other bands. Joneses. The Joneses, yes. And um, at, a, at a certain point, my cash flow was ridiculously low to where I, I got to find another place to live. I can't. Even though it was really cheap to live in the church, it was like I've got to get out of here. Yeah, you know I can't be around all of these irritating personalities. A lot of tension. A lot of tension. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I have one more
1: question for Ed. Did you hang out at the church back then? Never went there. Never went there. Not one time.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't recall going there. Nice. Um, so when the trip, sure. oops gotcha. uh circle jerks, you guys are together. uh how did the music writing process go? It was uh would Greg do a lot of the the ideas or how did that process come about?
3: Well, there were four of us that had all of these different ideas and ultimately, um one of the things that happened was Greg had been a member of Red Cross. And the tourists, they were the tourists before they turned into Red Cross. Stephen and Jeffrey were in the Black Flag rehearsal space. And we all looked at them and said, like we all ganged up on them and said, you know, you're going to need to change your band name. The, the tourists don't cut it. <laughs> and they changed, the, they changed their name. Yeah, and then um,
0: they got sued for it and they had to change it to well, a different Yeah, they strategy. had to, they
3: had to add the extra D and the <laughs> K and mm-hmm. Um I don't know if they got sued. Maybe they were just told with it. they were told. Threat. Look, yeah. we're we're a, an organization that's been around since the beginning of time, yeah, and yeah. you're not calling your band Red Cross. <laughs> they got a
0: c and D letter or something. Yeah,
1: and yeah, yeah, the good and old good
3: cease and desist. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, or maybe somebody else came along with that possessed some kind of intelligence when it came to those kind of things, and said, "You guys are going to have to change your name. You're going to have to do something here mm-hmm. because you're going to get in trouble," and When they were breaking up, as they were breaking up, the McDonald brothers told Greg, we're not not using these songs anymore. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and do with them what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And so Greg obviously took that and ran with it. And um, one of the very first shows we would play, we would be in a room where we had probably about 50 people that wanted to just um, take us to the end of the pier and chop us up and use us <laughs> for um, Lobster bay. The, the The scenario was that we changed lyrics and sped the songs up We added a few things here or there, removed a few things here or there. Basically the structures were the same. But um, I had worked on some songs when I was in Black Flag that were never used. The lyrics were used and then the lyrics were unused. And one of the things that happens when we get into legal territory is that um a lyric a lyricist owns half the song and I, i i consider myself a lyricist at times and i occasionally come up with some music but um we just went for the anarchy and that, like I said, there were a lot of people that really disliked us. When did, uh, did you guys get to the point where you were ready to record? How far into the band? I'm I'm really terrible when it comes to questions like that, but one of the things that happened with the writing process was we were just taking our time. We were in no hurry. And then one of us, I'm raising my hand, booked a couple of shows because my ass started to itch or something. Um, And one day in our rehearsal space, I said, guys, we have 12 songs. We have a couple of shows coming up here within the next Two, three, four weeks, we need to come up with more material so we can go out and play live and that's that's when the the songs in question were, well, here's the riffs. Mm. Here's this riff and I, I I looked at the guys in the band and I said, I, I was basically looking at Roger Rogerson where it's like you guys have been in other bands have you created any musical bits in any of these bands and a couple of other things got tossed into the pot you you have to understand the way we worked is there's a pot in the middle of the room it's a cauldron it's bubbling and gurgling it looks like it could be lava or like boiling tomato soup there's bricks and tree branches and all sorts of stuff on fire underneath, wood logs, and we're tossing stuff into it, we're making the stew, and that's how we worked. So it wasn't like some bands,
1: the guitar player will bring a riff, and then the rhythm session fills it in, and then the you know the singer pens some lyrics to it. You guys didn't work that way at all, huh? You
3: guys just sat in a room and banged out ideas until it became a song. We worked however we could make a song, whether it be one guy coming in with the guitar riff, whether it be, hey, like, Lucky is like, well, I've got this drum thing that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay.
1: Did you like that process more than you did when you were working out the Black Flag
3: songs? Um,
1: or was it just different, not better or worse? No, it
3: was it was different, and it wasn't better or worse. The thing with Black Flag was there was a lot of energy, and it was like we were angry, and you can you could feel that, you could hear that, you you could if you saw us play live, you could see it, mm. where we were just pissed off. We were in we were in we were in a neighborhood where. Like I said earlier on a Friday or Saturday night, the best you were going to get was the Doobie Brothers, the Eagles, and fucking uh, Brewer and Shipley, or fucking um, Fleetwood Mac, (laughs) and not not the good Fleetwood Mac, (laughs) not the ultra mega million selling fucking stadium rock band you know you there was a time and place in this city where you would go in a record store and that would be all you would hear you would go into a liquor store and they would be playing it on the fucking stereo in the liquor store you'd go into the market and normally you would you you wouldn't hear any rock music you'd hear all of the fucking elevator music and there was an elevator fucking music version of (laughs) go your own way or fucking (laughs) pass me the the Coke spoon or whatever. The Coke spoon,
1: nice. But Circle Jerks, you guys had the same intensity, but you had humor in it. And it seems like you guys had a different mission. If there was even, I don't want to call it a mission, but you guys didn't take it. You guys weren't as intense, maybe in, in the way that you wanted to. I don't know. I don't want to call you guys a party band. It wasn't like that. But we
3: were a party band. Okay, like just you can say it. The nail on the head. <laughs> See, we wanted to go to the party. Yeah. <laughs> Guys we, movies, wanted to, right? we, wanted to, we wanted to hang out next to the keg. <laughs> we wanted to know where the drug dealer was. And uh, maybe be in charge of whatever record was being placed on the turntable that everybody was talking over, whoever was going to dance to it or whatever. Yeah. Black Flag was really serious. Black Flag was angry. Black Flag wanted to wreck things and destroy things. And that's what was happening musically. That was was happening lyrically. And when I left, I was walking away from all of that. I'm still angry. I'm still angry right now.
2: Did your partying escalate from going from Black Flag to Circle Jerks? I know you're sober now, but were things getting crazier for you, do you think? As a party band, the the change
3: things were getting crazier, yes. And then I, I I would have my moment of clarity, and I'm I'm still here because if I hadn't have had that moment of clarity, you'd you'd be talking with somebody else. Hey Ed, when's the first time you saw Circle Jerks?
0: Close, you know, I don't know, um, Hong Kong or the whiskey. What,
3: I'm not sure what year that would have been. What well, we've it? shot photos on Sunset Boulevard and yeah. uh, at the the liquor store across oh, the street. Yeah. Yeah. And what year was that though? Was that '80?
0: And that would have been '80. And the yeah. record
3: came out in
2: '81. I I think I don't I, yeah. don't I don't know all of that crap. <laughs> I have a date too. Uh, well, what, what was your impression of Circle Jerks, though? Seeing Black Flag and... and that's
3: a terrible and, question to ask him in front of me. <laughs> because he's going to sugarcoat it, and he's going to make it all sweet, Well, no, we pulled nice the Circle friendly. Jerks for I
1: don't know, man. But I don't know. And does a strike me as that tight.
3: <laughs> they suck. <laughs> Keep those a wreck. No. <laughs> we, we... Spent a lot of time around each other Mm. back in those days. Did you
1: hear a a buzz like from okay from from your end of it? Was there a lot of buzz about these guys when they formed the band? Was there people like kind of anxious to hear what what Keith was gonna do next?
0: Uh, not that I heard, you know, it was kind of like once they got out and started playing, then there was a buzz, yeah, you know, you know, people like the early black flag. You know, only a handful of people knew that was going on even, you know. How did you figure out
1: which bands you were going to focus on or go see, or was it just random?
3: Uh,
0: No, I photographed the good ones.
3: it's, It's really simple to have it random, because what was happening at this time was you would have four or five bands on a bill at a... At a club show like the Hong Kong Cafe. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, Fear's headlining. I'm going to go see Fear. But I get there early and I end up seeing two or three bands before Fear. And
0: you're like... And
3: I'm just like, well, this band's as good, if not better. You know, it's like, that's the way it works.
1: It still works that way to this day. I've found some awesome bands by just showing up early. Mm -hmm. So it still goes on. But I I was just curious because you had to be very uh, frugal with
0: how much film... You were using well, yeah. it and all I'm that kind of broke stuff back then, you know I had money for gas and and uh, coffee and film kind of you know and, the, the, and it wasn't like
1: you didn't have the digital you know stuff so you everything everything oh, was mean <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you know, yeah, you you know everything had to be kind of sort of uh, rationed,
0: I would imagine. So we went out to shows know. and stuff you know. I don't know you know I remember one show I shot eleven rolls of film that was kind of excessive. Yeah. When I shot the Stray Cats in 1980 or something like that at the Roxy, I shot 27 photographs.
3: Did they pay
0: for it? No.
3: <laughs> hey, all that stuff. No, I'm just being facetious. None of that stuff was work for hire.
0: None of it. For the love, right? Yeah. Did you... I-
1: did you get recognition from the bands that you shot in any way? Like, were they let, just let you into
0: shows for it or doing anything? Oh, yeah. Kind of, like, you know, you know, I was always on lists and stuff and hanging out. It was kind of like, you know, i I've, I've sort of liking that early, like, the birth of Hardcore to like a five-year party, you know. Not, not, I wasn't doing drugs and drinking myself. i would never done any drugs except smoke weed, Yeah, you know. But, uh, you know, it was like, you're always seeing your friends you know there was only a couple hundred people in the whole scene and you'd see them multiple nights a week you know you, when you go out you'd see them like hey
3: how come you weren't at dip the then, then it last then night? it you know? then it blossomed yeah. into where uh we're no longer playing at the whiskey go go or the hong kong cafe uh-huh. like we've we've got it the the next step is from Two to three hundred to five hundred to twelve hundred. When did you start? At what point did you start seeing
1: faces you didn't recognize? Because it was a close knit scene, a couple hundred people. If you're going out to shows a few times a week, three, four times a week, you're seeing the same faces. When did you start to notice, wait a minute, there's a lot of people here that aren't from our scene? Oh, yeah. You know, that
3: that actually happened early. Yeah. Yeah. That actually happened at the Hong Kong Café. You you know, like on a Friday or Saturday night, all of a sudden, there are people coming in from the valley, or there are people coming in from Riverside, or there are people coming in from um, the O.C. St. Gabriel Valley, that's where I was coming from. How
2: How was the change, like, so when Group Sex comes out, how did things change for the Circle Jerks? You guys just all of a sudden get a lot more, like, Obviously, that's such an
3: iconic album. Was the recognition immediate? It was was very well received. We we can thank Rodney being in Hymer. There there, there will be a lot of people that will uh, diss on him. But the the simple fact of the matter is, is for us being in bands, he was um, our pathway into... Actually, being played on K Rock during lunchtime.
0: One of the the only stations that would play that stuff, right?
3: Well, all of the all of the um, indie college university stations would play it. Yeah. Were you guys doing?
2: uh, When did you guys actually start touring? Was that soon after that album? Um, We
3: toured before the album, hadn't you? a little bit? Well, it depends upon what you call touring, like a, a weekend gig up in San Francisco or Sacramento that we didn't really consider that to be a tour. Yeah. You know, the, we, we wouldn't get serious about our touring probably for at least a couple of years after that. Mm-hmm. And then it got ridiculous. Like we we would go out and we would be gone. For two, three, four months at a time, and this this would be going out, leaving Los Angeles, and hoping that we we could pull up to the bar where we're going to play, and and talk the owner or talk the manager into letting us play for the twelve kids out front that aren't going to be able to. Get in. They're, they're going to just have to stand outside and hear whatever they can hear when when the door to the bar opens, or mm-hmm. you know. So it's like, can can we can we play an early show? Can we just set up and have these kids in here before you start serving any drinks? Mm-hmm. You know. So we were we were playing a lot of nights. We were playing two shows if we were lucky. If we if we. Had the cells pitch to allow the person running the the bar to to open up for these kids,
0: mm-hmm.
3: you know. And granted, it could be six kids, it could be twenty kids. Uh, we we when, when we got when when we got um, bigger as a band. I remember we played a show out in Las Vegas at the Huntridge Theater. And we pulled up, we started moving our gear out into the venue, and as we're moving our gear backstage, the the ceiling in the middle of the room collapses. <laughs> oh, shit. Like, oh, n- no. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> all of the people that are going to be here, all. 1200 are all going to be standing under this hole in the roof, (laughs) hoping that the rest of it caves in on them. Wow. So we obviously knew there was no show that night. We pulled our our vehicle out into the parking lot. And at that time, we were on a um, really horrific tour. I mean... We were signed to a label that just did absolutely nothing for us, and it was like we just we we've got to look for every possible um, fun thing to happen for us. So we the the vehicle that we're driving was capable of being if we could find like a, a a power source we could plug our vehicle the generator <laughs> up, in the vehicle would be enough power you know the, yeah. the the electrical system in the vehicle was enough juice to power our guitar and our bass <laughs> and we played in the parking lot and there were about 40 people there these were like all of the people that were going to get there first and be first in line so i could get the t-shirt and <laughs> be at the very front of the stage and all of that fun stuff, mm. and of course, we—I I think we got about twenty minutes into whatever we were playing, and all of a sudden, it looked like um, the the parking lot for the police convention. <laughs> yeah, where did you guys crash
1: during that that first tour with the Circle Jerks? How, did you stay with with fans, people, friends?
3: Probably no hotels, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, there was some scampering for people to let us sleep on their floor, you know, and if, if you were lucky, you'd get the couch. Mm-hmm. Um I, I remember one night, and this was when Earl Liberty and Chuck Biscuits were our rhythm section. We were playing. In some faraway place and it was freezing cold and the roads were slick and the snow was about six feet deep and that we didn't even have to ask the girl came up to us and said my parents are out of town i live in a three-bedroom house there's plenty of places for everybody to sleep there's plenty of food in the refrigerator nice you know it's a So it's like, all right, turn the heat up and we're flowing. Mm. And as it turns out, I I find a nice little comfortable bed. I guess it would have been in her brother's bedroom. And at about four in the morning, everybody's finally settling in. It's like the party had gone on long enough. You know, we got a long haul to the next city we're playing in. If the roads are in the condition they're in right now, we're going to be creeping yeah. along. And so everybody's starting to relax and all of a sudden there's a commotion in the living room. And all the lights in the house are, are turned on. <laughs> like every fucking light in the house, it's like, what, what is this? It's like, time to go. Mom and Dad had come back from their oh. trip, with, <laughs> with circle with, jerks, with, bringing little <laughs> bringing little brother along with them back to the house, nice. and the, this uh, sleeping scenario was not going to happen. Shit.
2: So you know, you talk about uh, a little bit earlier, like minor threat, uh, bad brains. When you finally hit the East Coast and hit like DC, what, what was it like playing with those bands? <clears throat>
3: Well, those crowds were very energetic. There was uh, a certain portion of the crowd that were straight edge. Um, They were very appreciative. They knew all of the songs, they knew all of the lyrics, they sang along. There there was just a great energy in the room. And there wasn't, if, if there was anything that resembled violence, it was quashed immediately. Like you're not doing that here. Mm-hmm. Like they actually police themselves. That's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. You know, your 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 bro falls, pick them while up. slamming. Pick them up. Pick them up. Yeah. yeah. A little
1: different than what you guys were used to back then, right? <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, we saw all sorts of stuff. Well, you photographed those guys too, you know, in L.A. and all that. What was your impression of Minor Threat and Bad Brains early on? They are both really
0: fantastic bands. They were great. Good shows.
2: Did you ever hit the road, Ed, and
0: go outside of, you know, follow any of these bands or anything? Uh, Twice, I think. Uh. Well, I went up to San Francisco, and I don't know, you know, when I did the Wild on the Streets cover, but... IRS records i worked for them in the mid 80s for quite a few years and they sent me out on tour with the alarm and they were going to send me out with rem but didn't and sent me out with the alarm they should have been the other way around but uh, rem hired me to do the all the photos for their fables of the reconstruction album and took me on a two and a half week east coast college tour that was fun wow that is cool Mm -hmm. what about um
2: Circle jerks playing CBGBs for the first time. What did you think of
3: CBGBs back then? It was just a dump to play. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You've seen photos of that bathroom. Oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) I could smell it from the photos. Did you take a shit in it or a piss? (laughs) No, it it was, (laughs) first off, it was um, their equivalent of the Whiskey A Go Go. And we played the we we played the whiskey probably six or seven times, mm. and it 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 was the first club that I'd ever been to the first rock club or the first club that that um, had touring bands, mm. major label bands. Yeah, I and, saw
0: the Kinks there, and T-Rex there, and the Cream there. I saw Cream in 67. I hate their later stuff, but I saw them all at the Whiskey. Wow.
1: Did you play other venues when you are out there besides CB's, like Max's, or any of those other venues that were sort of... What other Ma- Like Max's Kansas City, that, that
3: venue, or... No, no, Max's was... Max's, by the time we made it out there, Max's, I think, would... We'll, they were on their last legs. Awesome. And there was no, the, there weren't really real punk rock bands playing at Max's. Okay. Their their scenario was that they, it was kind of like the, the difference between the Hong Kong Cafe and Madame Wong's. I understand. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see.
2: What about, um? what were some of your favorite like New York bands early on that you guys were playing with? you
3: guys buddies with, like, Agnostic Front, those guys? We we played with the Agnostic Front. We played with... Well, the first New York band we played with was the Stimulators, which was Harley, Harley who was... At that time, I think he was... Twelve or ten or something. Or, yeah. yeah. I think he was, like, ten. That's right. Were you impressed? I was just impressed the, by the fact that he was... They're doing what he was doing. Yeah. We also played with the Necros, who were from Ohio. Necros are rad. Where did you play with them at? Was it in New York? It was at um, Irving Plaza. Oh, okay. New Jersey, right? We played a show at the Mud Club during the middle of the week, and that was a complete, utter disaster. Um, We had one person in the crowd... And all of the people, all of the staff, I think, um, at one point, there were, they, they might have started the night off with six people, and they cut it down to three people because they realized they didn't need a doorman. And they didn't need a uh, bar back. They didn't need a waitress. You guys can go home, right? <laughs> wow. That's crazy. And the, the one member in the crowd was Cheetah Chrome from the Dead Boys. Oh, that's okay. cool. And he was um, not all here, <laughs> I, I think would be a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, he managed to take all of the furniture, like the bar stools and the high tables, and he piled them all up in front of the stage like he was going to just set it all on fire. Oh, shit. Okay. I mean, he was like, he had that look in his eye like, on a, like a, a six-year-old that got his first book of matches. <laughs> and he was actually using it as a, as a ramp. He was using all of this furniture. He would get at the back of the room and he would run across the room and he would Leap up onto the stage, off of all of this furniture piled up in front of the stage, wow. and he would start twisting all of the knots <laughs> all the way across, <laughs> all the way to eleven, yeah, eleven or wherever it goes. Shit. And at one point, um, Roger was like. You gotta tell this guy to get off the stage, <laughs> and I looked at Roger and I said, "You don't tell Cheetah Chrome what to do." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. No footage of that exists, huh?
3: There, nobody. There was no yeah. cellular, but you know, nobody was ever filming? F- filming devices at that time. Yeah. Like People a no just didn't man. do that.
1: Yeah. Man, to have, to have a camera guy in a corner during that thing, it it's would have been a lure, huh? Yeah.
2: What about uh, yeah, yeah. back uh, to Los Angeles? Like, what was it like playing at the Olympic? You mentioned, talked a little bit earlier about that. Was it, were well, those shows pretty Well, amazing. the Olympic
3: was just a big, Hall. massive hole that scene mm-hmm. meant it was like, what are you going to break? <laughs>
0: You know, <laughs> nothing, if you
3: if you there. if you break the urinals, you bust the urinals off the wall in the men's room. You're just gonna piss on the floor. You know, it's, at a, at a certain point, people got hep to not ruining the place. You know, don't shit don't shit in the hand that's going to feed you. Mm people eventually there was a certain point in time where it was almost a requirement to go into a venue and, and wreck something yeah. because what are they going to do the band you know it and there. you're you're I live in Hermosa Beach I live 25 miles away from all of this and this is not a place that I come to on a regular basis
0: mm-hmm.
3: i'm going to get drunk And I'm going to bust something.
0: I took a picture of the vandals at the music machine in the bathroom after they'd torn the urinal flush handle off the wall. I think human's holding it. That picture was used on the cover of a flip side. And I was with Steve when they played at the, I think it was a T-Bird roller rink in Whittier. I I don't know why I don't have pictures of it, but he walked into the bathroom and just boom, boom. Boom! We just walk down and kick one at a time. <laughs> kick three toil- No, kick three toilets yeah. off the bottom. The
2: lights was all flooding and stuff. It's like, oh my god, that's crazy. So, uh, were you like? I know you're on stage playing. You know, were you like uh, aware of all like the gang violence that started happening in the scene, like uh, like '84, like um, some of the stuff that was going on? How was that?
3: Well, I just I I thought that. That aspect, the violence, was ridiculous. You know, because there were there were other things to be <clears throat> angry at. And if you were going to get violent, why don't you get violent against somebody that deserves the violence, rather than just some random guy that you don't know that happens to be at the venue, yeah. who happens to be there because... He wants to be a part of something. He wants to be part of the the group. He wants to feel the energy and the excitement and see the band and hear the band and, you know, hear all of the different things that are going on. And what had happened was, originally, the Hollywood punk rock scene was a click. At one point, Ed said there were like 200 people that were part of this clique that were all... Um, and half more of them were the bands. And they, they, they were art students. They were college dropouts. They were uh, future actors, actresses. Um, they, they wanted to have a party scene and they didn't want it messed with. And when bands from Huntington Beach and Orange County and the South Bay and the Valley, when when, when these bands and these people started showing up, they brought a different mentality. Entirely. Right. And what it did was it upped the energy mm-hmm. and in doing so it made things more Uh, electric it made things more exciting it made things so it was like you got to be on your toes Mm -hmm. you might catch an elbow you know you you might get kicked in the ankle which was something that was not happening in the very beginning Mm -hmm. unless say you got a like random wild drunk But what happened was the energy got kicked up. Yeah, hardcore. And we were um, constantly being harassed by the jocks. Mm-hmm. I'm calling them jocks, not athletes. There, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, because I grew up in Hermosa Beach, and I was surrounded by athletes, who were guys that had hair down past their breasts they were up at 4:35 in the morning getting into their wetsuits and going out and surfing these kind of athletes not jocks not the guys that played baseball and football and water polo not those guys mm. Although some of them you can't just lump them all together, because I knew a lot of jocks who didn't have the the full-blown mentality. They were actually real human beings. Mm. <clears throat> but we were we were the ones that were being called devos, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Fuck you, devo. And this is like a like a guy that would end up. Uh, busting Bronx in the rodeo
1: so here's this group of people coming in that initially drove
3: you into that okay. the, the people that i that I'm talking about with you you have to understand that you have all of those all of those dudes from Venice who who not only surf but road skateboards mm-hmm. when when there was when there weren't any waves and it was raining or it was foggy it was time to get out of town and go do some skiing which this would ultimately lead to snowboarding mm-hmm. which is skateboarding without wheels on on snow mm-hmm. we grew up around all of these guys and they're not jocks they're They're athletes. All of a sudden, there's the slam dance and there's the stage dive. And these are all moves. If you look at them, you look at the slam dance. It's basically there should be a skateboard underneath these guys doing this dance. You have the stage divers. Where are we? We're in Southern California. What's Southern California? One of the swimming pool capitals of the world. Mm -hmm. And what do you do when you're at a swimming pool? You dive off of whatever you can dive off of to get into the water. Yeah, Chuck Burke and my wasted flip photos of skateboarder. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the... The, okay. the jocks slowly came into it and didn't know, and this maybe is not the right word to use here, but I would say the proper dance etiquette. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, because their motivations were different. They're coming in, and they, it, what I found interesting is how these guys come in, and they're the same people that kind of drove you to punk rock in the first place, to alternative means of you know and hate you, you know and that now the same yeah. guys are started, later they're in, in, it's in. Your, your, your lifestyles and they're making you feel like you're the outsiders and it's ridiculous you know so you had your athletes you had your, your your jocks so how bad was the jock problem initially
3: well don't forget we got to add the gangs yeah we had the punk rock gangs which was probably one of the most ridiculous things anybody has ever come up with. It's all territorial, right? Like, I, I'm already in a gang. Yeah. And we're not here to fuck with anybody. We're, we're here to fucking have a party. So on the one hand, it
1: brings up the excitement, like you said before, and the energy level. But on the other hand, now you're dealing with a lot of conflict. Did it affect the gigs? Were there fewer gigs? Were there clubs that were like, now we're not doing this anymore?
3: That happened quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that that was why at one point the Olympic Auditorium was doing all of the shows they were doing. They were doing like one or two shows a month. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was enough for them to, you know, keep, yeah. keep their hands filled. Now, there were still some clubs that would allow it, but probably... Um, prayed that they never had to use their um, entertainment insurance. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What about security? Did the violence get ripped up on their end? Because they're dealing with violent people now, and security people aren't exactly the most patient, you know, understanding people.
3: at a certain point, at a certain point, see, at one point in time, the security guys could get away with... Whatever they wanted to get away with. Yeah. Like clubbing people with pipes in the hills surrounding the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. Like, are you kidding? Like hospitalizing people because they're trying to sneak into the Hollywood Bowl and maybe sit with some people that are sipping wine and eating some fine... Stinky French cheese, you know? Yeah, it's fucked up. You know, sneaking into a Grateful Dead concert. <laughs> you know, we're sneaking in to see Pink Floyd.
1: So did you guys get blowback from these these other outside influences? Like, were you treated differently from those security guys? Like, were you lumped into those people? The gangs, the violent guys who came into this inn that weren't really in it for the music or the art. Were you guys all sort of lumped into that category?
3: Do you guys get some fallout from that? Um, I don't ever remember receiving any kind of backlash for playing the music that these guys wanted to listen to. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like I have no control over who comes to the shows. Yeah, exactly. But if I'm on stage and I see something happening that's not supposed to be happening, I'll step up and say something about it. And I have got backlash for doing that.
2: Can we talk a little bit about uh, the decline of the Western civilization? No, we're not going to talk about that whatsoever. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm
1: I'm just pulling your leg. And you actually, you were in it, but you also worked on it a little
3: bit with Penelope Spears, did you? Um, I helped snag a couple of the bands that played at the Fleetwood. That was, I think, that was the, was that her final, like, she shot Fear, the Alice Bag Band, which basically was the Bags, the Circle Jerks. Um, I also heard she... Filmed a little bit of the gears. See, so, you know, the, throughout the years, there have been people that have just been up in arms over her choice of bands that were that appeared in the movie.
0: Yeah, like
3: it's, it's, it's really it it really <laughs> leans towards s- Slash Records and Slash Magazine because Kick Boys bands in there and Fear is on Slash and X is on Slash and. The germs are on slash and it's like, so what? Mm. What the fuck? Mm. All those bands are totally happening, you know? Um, There were people that complained that the plugs and the weirdos and the gears weren't in it. And, you know, there's this whole list of all of these bands that could have or should have been in it that weren't in it, like... Just take it for what it is. Mm -hmm, And she ultimately stepped up and said, I shot all of that on film. You know how expensive film was at that time? Mm -hmm. I got to rent those cameras. I got to pay the crew.
1: Is all that footage sitting somewhere? Will we ever see it? Uh,
3: I, I don't know what happened, but maybe some of the film got destroyed. Maybe. What she shot of the gears just wasn't,
1: yeah, good enough so. to
3: be. Who who knows what her it that's her that's a question you ask her. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's a that's an iconic movie for sure for us. I mean, it got me to see how you guys lived. Was, what I liked about it was it was like it kind of followed the bands around, you know, the church. You know what I mean? You talk about the church. We got to see what that was like and. Um, were you, at that point, you were never involved uh, up to that point in something that had that much production. Was it kind of a trippy to see, like, cameras at a show, how, how it all went down, behind the scenes, kind of viewing it? There weren't
3: really any behind the scenes going on. Mm-hmm. You know, we were okay. like, we're here to play. It's like whatever the technical, you know, all of the cameras and how many people and who's going to be on stage. That's for somebody else to sort out.
0: Yeah. I don't think I've seen it since it premiered, (laughs) you know, on Hollywood Boulevard.
3: Well, what it did for us was it allowed us to be seen by people in faraway places Mm -hmm. that had absolutely... No ideas to what we were or what we were about, what we sounded like, what we looked like. There were people that had read about us and maybe had seen some photos in Flipside or Slash Magazine or Maximum Rock and Roll. Nomag. (laughs) Nomag. Actually, no, not Nomag. Nomag wasn't happening at that time. What year? At the at the at the, at they the decline.
0: In the 70s. they were they were going before that movie was released.
3: I don't think so. No, I don't think so. And hmm. when when the Circle Jerks were in that ma- magazine, hmm. our lineup was Chuck Biscuits and Earl Liberty. Yeah, I remember. And our original lineup was with Lucky and Roger. And we... Yeah, but it was going before you were in it. We, we, um, we, yeah, we were like, what, the fourth issue, fifth issue? (laughs) But anyways, rather than argue about that, um, we got a call from a promoter on the East Coast who worked out of Irving Plaza in New York. And he said, would you guys like to come out and played a couple of weeks worth of shows here on the east coast and we said of course he said here's the deal i'll fly you out i'll put you up you'll have transportation to all of your shows and whatever money you earn playing the shows um will pay for your food and your gas we said well we're not doing anything. We've never been to the East Coast. Some of us had never been to the East Coast. Uh, one of us was born on the East Coast. But anyways, it was like, of of course we're going to do this. Play Irving Plaza. Play the Mud Club. Play the 930 Club in Washington, D.C. with, with uh, Minor Thread. Play... Um, the Stardust Ballroom, with the, or the, no, the Starlight Ballroom in Philadelphia with the Stranglers. Mm-hmm. It's like, how, how could we not want to do this? Mm-hmm. What else are we going to do? You know, so basically what that film did for us was open doors.
2: Did it help you guys? When did you guys actually go over it? Overseas. Did did you guys go overseas early on?
3: We went to Hawaii for a week. We played five nights at a a (laughs) a club in uh, Honolulu. Five nights, really? Yeah, it was ridiculous. (laughs) Like opening night, there were probably 300 people there, and closing night, there were probably 500 people there. And in between was maybe for three shows hmm. two or 300 people hmm. yeah but it, it was fine yeah, you fine know and right. all of our expenses were paid mm. um i've got to use the restroom gentlemen yeah. okay yeah okay. you good pause <laughs> break regarding
0: yeah, oh,
3: turn on the stick me with the big crime fighters, two writers, still need a talk, to kill my butt wild, in the streets, wild, in the streets, wild, in the streets, wild, in the streets, wild, valiant, a couple of, valiums, couple of beers, really do they do right, you gotta believe us, you gotta trust us, teenager, fucking wreck, wild! in the streets, in the
0: streets, wild! In the streets, wild! Wild!
3: Wild! 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 Have to choose, play with the boys, bound to lose, one hand, down in the others, don't mess around, they real mean brother! America has your favorite
1: sign You catch us what
3: is done wild in the way Running Running Wild in the street Run it Running Wild in the street Running Running Wild in the streets 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 in the street, running wild in the street.